Oh, hi, everybody. My name is Matt Stores, and welcome to Matt's Planning. On today's episode, I have a writer on to talk about their area of expertise. Expert, please introduce yourself and tell us what you're an expert in. Oh, hi, Matt. My name is Hattie Jean Hayes. I'm a writer. I write nonfiction. I write fiction. I write essays. I do journalism. But most importantly, I write poetry. And that is where my area of expertise lies. Excellent. Yeah, my understanding of poetry, I feel, is pretty broad. And I believe that this is somewhat well known, but many political and legal documents of old, going back hundreds of years, were actually written in poetic verse. And legal writing as it stands today, legalese, if you've heard that term, it's actually an offshoot of this old poetry style. So people think like, oh, legalese is so difficult to read and understand. That's because it is actually a form of poetry when you really break it down, going back to the Magna Carta and other documents like that. Poems are not just for people. There mm -hmm. are, a whole, as you may know, this may have come up with your name, but a lot of poets are known for their hats and mm -hmm. how the hats represent their style of poetry mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. like if you see somebody out in society wearing a specific type of hat you have a pretty good chance that they're into a certain type of poetry such as a searcher those people are into free verse basically free association type poetry is in a pork pie hat they're thinking that ska lyrics are poetry. Well, you... they are, so. Well, exactly. And that's <laughs> why everybody's got so many pork pie hats around these days. Then you have like the brimless baseball hat, which is kind of like deconstructed sports stats, but then they connect it to their childhood trauma. It's a very, very specific type of poetry that mm -hmm. that comes up of those ones not as not as common then you have boaters they're just like a boater hat they're just in a doo-wop group a lot of people get confused about that and then if somebody is wearing a fez they like problematic limericks but do ultimate... you own a fez do you own a fez i do not and i am mm -hmm. i am one of the people that only wears like explorer hats and fun dad hats typically from like museums which means i'm into fun and irreverent limericks as opposed to awesome. problematic ones but i can see where there would be concern limericks are a slippery slope as we all know Ultimately, poetry is about establishing a connection with the reader or the listener's emotion, as opposed to like truly like having a full narrative or anything like that. You're, it's emotion forward. And thus, it can be argued that verbal ASMRs are the most modern form of poetry. And with ASMR videos, ASMR poetries and poets, the tiny bowler hat hair clips are how you designate those people in public. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I'd like to share with you, I don't know if you've ever heard this poem or beginning of a poem. This goes back to the legalese connection, but just like it, you can find it in a lot of legal opinions throughout history. And most recently in 2008, this one was at the start of a case decision. A groom must expect matrimonial pandemonium when his spouse finds he's given her cubic zirconium and that that judge had a lot of fun in that divorce case and i just think that that is something that was really commended because you can have poets that are 
something else in their day job, so to speak. And it's just like, this is their avenue to express themselves, to provide their emotion in a way that might not be that expected based on their day jobs, whether they're a tax accountant, whether they're a lawyer, whether or not they're a janitor, whether or not they are doing ketamine, whatever they're doing in their day to day, they could be doing anything. I mean, that's basically what I know about poetry based on what you've heard so far about how much of that would you say was accurate? Well, if I were the proctor for an AP test about poetry, Mm -hmm. I'd probably give you a three, which is to say you would get college credit for these answers, but only at a state school. Um, And, and yeah, in, in the spirit of poet, you, you did a lot of, you did a good job of convincing me with your prose, with your word choices of of that, what you believed was true. And and I will say you, you have some points, especially when talking about legalese, but I do want to fact check just a couple of common misconceptions that, that are okay. in there. The, the biggest misconception is you you got way too into detail about hats. I got to mm-hmm. say, yes, if you see someone in a hat, they absolutely read or write poetry. That is a given, okay. but you can no longer, we're, we're really in a global economy. It's 2023. And you can't look to someone's type of hat to indicate what kind of poetry they enjoy or they're practiced in. And and historically, actually, poets were too poor for hats. So this is a pretty, it's a pretty recent development in the literary world. I mean, good luck trying to find a picture of John Keats in a hat. That was Mm. actually a really big point of contention with Jane Campion's 2009 film, Bright Star, about the life of John Keats. He wore far too many hats in that, in that movie. I see, Um, I see. But, but you are right. In that when we look at a lot of older historical documents, not necessarily just legal writing, but older historical documents, a lot of them are in what we would recognize today as poetic forms, or they have a sense of meter, or in the case of a lot of legal documents, they're just in Latin, which okay. people today love to believe is just poetry. People are like, yeah, that's, that's kind of rhyming and I don't understand it. That's poetry. So you do have a, a point there that I will concede for um, half of an AP credit point. Okay, um, perfect. But, but but probably the biggest thing that I wanted to fact check within within your statements about poetry is that is that it's hard to understand or that it's that it's hard to read. And I think that's okay. something that that's very much something that people come to believe about poetry. And this is where I'm going to kind of start rolling because okay. one of my biggest one of my biggest things, one of my biggest missions, I think as a poet is to kind of democratize poetry and help people understand that it's not difficult to comprehend, it's not difficult to read, it's not difficult to decode, because a poem is not on its face asking you to do all of those things. When you read a poem, there are multiple meanings, right? And I think that people see that as some sort of barrier to entry. A lot of people have told me that they don't feel smart enough to read or write poetry. A lot of people have told me that they feel intimidated by poetry. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk really briefly about kind of the, the two factors that make most poetry different from prose writing, and then the caveats contained therein. And then I'm going to talk about how how we're wrong as a society about poetry and its meanings. So I, I teach poetry workshops fairly often. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to do it more regularly. And I also have a sub stack that's dedicated largely to 
poetry and, and making poetry accessible and very easy, very fun, creative poetry prompts for people who are new to poetry or are already writers and want to break into writing poems or loved poetry in high school and then had one really bad slam poetry experience and never went back. The two elements of poetry that really set it apart from other writing and that make people kind of feel the sense of fear around it are form and meter. So form is just what it sounds like. It's the fact that in a poem, you have lines that don't necessarily reach the end of the page. You have lines or word fragments that scatter all over the page. You might very well have a poem that is shaped like the thing it's representing. You might have poems that make creative use of spaces and indentations that you aren't used to or aren't prepared to decode. And, and a lot of times you don't need to decode them. They might be a signal as you're reading that poem on how you're, how you're intended to read it. They might be a, a signal of distance between ideas. They might be a signal of movement throughout the ideas contained in the poem. Whether you're writing or reading poetry, form is something that can imbue the words that you put on the page with a lot more meaning. Form is used in conjunction with meter. So mm -hmm. you might know iambic pentameter, for example. Right. You might also yeah, see... Yeah, I've seen Deadwood, yes. <laughs> yeah, so you know Deadwood. Okay, so so uh, meter, iambic pent pentameter, different forms of meter, different... And, and that kind of... Meter really factors into things like rhyme structures, which not all poetry rhymes, and not all poetry rhymes the way you expect it to. A great mm -hmm. example is the villanelle, okay. you know, where instead of having like a normal A, B, A, B, A, B structure, you have a set of lines where you might have an A, B, B, A. And eventually those last two lines that you get will rhyme with each other, but you might see those two rhymes repeated throughout the poem. So mm -hmm. unexpectedly enough, the, the thing that I would recommend if you are new to poetry and kind of scared of it and you don't really know what you're doing is to figure out a form that seems interesting to you. And really explore it. See how people follow that form, that 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 structure. See how people break it, how they break those rules. Sonnets are a really great, really easy to understand kind of entry into poetry, I think, because they very often follow a form that is recognizable and easy to learn. And once you see people breaking that form, you start to understand how poetry is meant to do multiple things. It's it's meant to have multiple meanings. And that's where I want to get into the second thing. I think that a, a point of confusion that people have about poetry, why they think it might be difficult to understand, difficult to comprehend, difficult to approach, is because we're we're taught in school, we're largely taught in school that when you're reading poetry, you're reading one thing and you're trying to discover this secret meaning beneath it. Mm -hmm. But a poem is not trying to trick you. It's not trying to trick you into thinking it's not a poem. It's not trying to tell you like, hey, this poem, all you see on the page is grass, but it's actually about my grandmother's death. Like we we have this kind of societal attitude towards poetry where if it's not a raunchy limerick or like a love poem in an episode of Saved by the Bell, we're kind of told to expect it to trick you or actually, you don't know what this poem's really about. I can't help you. Absolutely. And to that point, one one way that that has created some conflict in my life has been whenever my mom reads poetry, she will assume that it's about me. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, yes, mom, this poem that's clearly about a tree is about me. And that's, it's hard to 
when people get it in their minds that they know what a poem is about. But I mean, or you're talking to somebody else and they're so focused on what they think the poem means that they are unwilling to listen what, to what the to what you think or what somebody else right. thinks. And that, that can be kind of a difficult aspect too, I feel. Yeah. And, and, you know, to some degree, your mother's right, because a poem can be about a tree, but also about you, because, I mean, you're both right in this instance, which is like the, the, the tormenting aspect, the, like the tormenting basal argument of literature is that you're both right, right? right. Because she, in, in one of her, her essays in Madness, Rack and Honey, which is a book I'm going to recommend at the end of this podcast, okay. Mary Rufel writes about art and she specifically writes about how when an artist creates a work, as they are creating that work, they have an intention for it. They have a meaning that they are imbuing it with. But once that work is observed, once it's in the world, whether that's in a gallery or a public space or online, a new meaning is projected onto that work, kind of like a hologram by every single person who views it. And poetry is much the same way, where Sylvia Plath might construct a villanelle about her childhood trauma and about falling in love and feeling rejected and about the solitude she feels as a writer and a creative. But when I, a different writer decades later, read it in a different setting, I'm going to be projecting my own meaning onto that exact same poem. So there's a duality of meaning here and those things are not in conflict with each other. Absolutely. Sylvia Plath was not trying to trick me by writing a poem that was actually about my childhood trauma. Right. Not that I have a lot of childhood trauma, but you know, well, as an example. Speaking speaking of childhood trauma, this reminds me of one of my favorite lines in all of film in the movie Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, mm-hmm. when Robert yeah. Downey Jr. is going through all of these dime novels that this person wrote that his love interest was really obsessed with when she was younger. He talks about how she was so invested and they met him when he came to town, but then she goes out to LA and all of these different things. And like, she has this idea of what being an author and being an artist is. And then Robert Downey Jr. says something to the fact that years later, the writer said he just did it all for the money. And the follow-up is, but what did he know? He was just the writer. And that's beautiful because how that person interpreted it and how they connected to it is paramount once those things are out there and once it's connected to that person's life. That's great. That's I mean, that's a very, very apt interpretation of that idea. And when I teach poetry workshops, an example that I rely on a lot is you're very familiar, I assume, with the Red the red Wheelbarrow poem, right? The, the William Carlos Williams, so oh, much yes. depends upon... Yes, yes, yes. I will read it just for the sake of your audience. So it's a very famous, very short poem by William Carlos Williams. It's just called The Red Wheelbarrow. It's very brief. And it's so much depends upon a red wheelbarrow blazed with rainwater beside the white chickens. Extremely brief, very parochial, beautiful. And and that is such a well-known poem. And Mary Rufel, who, if you couldn't tell by the fact that I've already mentioned her twice, I'm obsessed with, um, Mm -hmm. she wrote a poem called Red, that reads, I fucking depended on you and you left the fucking wheelbarrow out and it's fucking raining and now the white chickens are fucking filthy. And you you can see in that poem how there's a conversation to be had, right? right? Between the person who, between the poet and the audience, between the poet and another poet, between the poet 
when he writes the poem and the poet when he addresses the poem years down the line. Bringing it back around to Keats, this is like largely a question because he died so young. This is a huge question that that historians and literary scholars have had is how he would react to the poems he wrote in his youth. And and I think that when we it's it's very easy and comforting to fall into a fear of poetry. To fall into fear of anything is often a comfort because when you choose to remain afraid of something, you are able to avoid interrogating what it says about you. And poetry is so riddled with emotion, is so riddled with expectation and promise and disappointment that you you very often do feel afraid of it because to read a poem is to examine the way in which you see the world. And um, I think that that's an experience that can open up your life and broaden your horizons. And it's nothing to be afraid of. And to write a poem can be an even bigger, an even bigger doorway to step through. Absolutely. Hattie, this has been extremely informative and I really appreciate the time you spent with me today. If people wanted to learn more about poetry or wanted to learn more about you and what you do, what would you recommend that they check out or where would you recommend they go? Well, I have a few quick recommendations for anyone who wants to start reading or writing poetry. My first is just go to your local bookstore, your local used bookstore, go to the poetry anthology section and just pick up a couple anthologies because the best thing you can do is introduce yourself to a few different types of poetry. Modern contemporary anthologies are always a great way to go. And then I have three three recommendations. That Madness, Rack, and Honey book that I mentioned is just mm-hmm. essays about poetry. And whatever kind of writer you are, you can learn from that book. Mary Oliver has a great book that's just called A Poetry Handbook. It's extremely welcoming and introductory. And it's a good resource no matter how experienced you are. And then if you want to get kind of like woo-woo-y with your prompts and you want to have fun and you're worried that, that poetry that you'll make poetry like a study and a chore instead of fun. Susan Woolridge has this book called Poem Crazy, which I actually now own two copies of, but I got it as a child. And I think it was really fundamental into in kind of building in a sense of exploration and fun and fearlessness with poetry, mm-hmm. because I it's something that really does not take itself too seriously. And then you're also welcome to check out my Substack. You can access it by just going to my website, which is HattieHayes.com. From there, you can read a lot of my poetry as well as some of my other writing. And and you can also find my email address. If you ever have questions, if you need someone to look over a draft of a poem and give you feedback, if you need more reading recommendations, just go ahead and reach out. I'm here. That's excellent. Hattie, this has been so wonderful. I really appreciate the time you spent with me today. Yes, of course, Matt. Thank you for having me on. And go out and read some poems. My name is Matt Stores, and this has been Matt Splaining.